Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, cooking queen Sola L. Whaley tells us about her new cookbook and the idea of embracing failure when cooking. And I don't want you to give up on yourself or the recipe. I want you to like evaluate what happened, think about it and try again, because that's really how you become a much better cook. But first, let's sit back and unwind with two excellent humans. With us this week is Lauren Shuljan, a senior reporter, producer, and the host of the NHPR podcast, The 13th Step. Lauren, hello. Hi, Greta. Also here is Anissa Khalifa. She produces and hosts the WUNC podcast, The Broadside, as well as indie podcasts, Dramas Over Flowers and Muslim in Plain Sight. Anissa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. This is very exciting. Yay. Okay, so let's start this week with the new Scorsese film that is out. It's called Killers of the Flower Moon. It's based on the nonfiction book by David Grant, and it's about a string of murders of members of the Osage Nation in Oklahoma after large deposits of oil was found on their land in the 1920s. It is over 400 minutes. It's almost three and a half hours long. And apparently some indie movie theaters have been offering intermissions for the film. And they actually got in like a lot of trouble from the movie studios. <laughs> it's just so good. Martin Scorsese's longtime editor, Thelma Schoonmaker, called it a violation. Oh, my. <laughs> I have stated on this show a number of times that my tolerance of long films is very, very low. I love a sweet 90 minutes. Um, Anissa, what do you think about the idea of an intermission in this situation? I love the idea of intermission and like, okay, Scorsese is a legend. He's a master. Sure. A lot of respect for him. Um, but I think people are just getting really tired of long movies. And so this is kind of, I think for some people, this is kind of like getting to be their breaking point. And like, I'm always for the filmmaker having, you know, being able to show their, their art in the way that they want to. Um, but at the same time, like this came from a place of not wanting to miss any of the movie while you yes. have to go pee, which you yeah. you need to do. Most humans need to go pee in three and a half hours. Um, I'll just, I'll, I also just want to like address Martin Scorsese said, you can sit in front of the TV and watch something for five hours. Also, there are many people who watch theater for three and a half hours. Um, and theater has an intermission. I was going to say. Most and when you're watching TV, you can pause it and go to the Whenever bathroom. You, want, you can get a snack. Yes. <laughs> I think it's very silly. I mean, I remember even running into this conundrum seeing Oppenheimer earlier this year where it's like, I don't, what is the best time to pee? You know, and intermission also tells you that so that you don't have to worry that you're going to miss some, you know, huge, perhaps literal explosion, for example. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, <laughs> listeners may also recall that your girl did not see Oppenheimer or Barbenheimer oh, or the whole thing that. because <laughs> she has a toddler. So that's not going to happen. So the idea of this long film happening in for me anyway is just like, no. 
But I, I'm plus wanting the idea of an intermission. Um, I promise this is related, but I went to my first fish show recently. Oh. And yeah, it was it was a um an act of love for my husband. That is, um, but that is very loving. Yes, it yes indeed it was. But I don't want to judge because you know people like fish a lot. They do. And there is an intermission involved where it's like a two set situation, and people they go really hard. And I imagine that for this film, which is very intense to view, I'm sure um, it would be nice to have a brain break. Yeah. And and I was pro fish intermission. I would be pro this intermission. But I I will say I. I do understand that as an artist, you want to have some control over how people view the thing. And maybe they yeah. would have liked to make an intermission, but they wouldn't have done it. So right. we should just thank the people that That's offered the this. Thing. You know what well, I mean? Well, I mean, you know, the other version is like, you know, there was a new Mission Impossible movie out this year and they just made a part one of the film and it's like two and a half hours long and part two will come out in a couple of years, you know? So that's like a very long intermission, but I think I'm Oof. even more okay with that. Mm. <laughs> that's like Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I like love the idea of like two part finales for everything that seems to be happening now, but mm. I will say I so I saw this movie last night. I was going to go see it on the weekend. Oh cool. Um, but when wow. I found out we were going to be talking about it oh today, I was like, okay, let me committed just go see it. That is <laughs> above and beyond, Anissa. <laughs> that is my love and respect for you um, wow. on your show. <laughs> but I I do also think that this movie didn't need to be three and a half hours mm. and I think that contributes to people's feeling of uh, ennui is it's like if you feel like the movie justifies three and a half hours in runtime, okay, you, your bladder um, would like hold on. Yeah, um, but I don't know that. I mean, it's a very um, le- leisurely pace. Let's put it that way. The the pace of the movie could definitely be tighter. Interesting. Okay, so having seen it, what do you think is the ideal time frame for going pee? Just so people know. <laughs> Things are happening slowly, but they're kind of consistently happening. Mm. So it's hard to find a timing, you know, to to go. So just go as fast as you can, pretty much. Yeah, maybe go with a friend um, or a loved (laughs) one and ask what happened while you were going. Take take good notes for me, please. I must pee. I do not want a UTI because of Martin Scorsese. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's also an accessibility issue, right? Like we're we're joking, but... um, No, that's true. Not everyone is able to sit for that long. Yeah. Yeah. Or go pee quickly, you know? Yeah, what if there's a line? I mean, we've really thought this through, everyone. (laughs) Okay, so Lauren, since you brought up up fish, I think that might be our perfect little transition because I also want to talk about another musical artist that a great many people love. Um, I will admit I am not a Swifty, but she is all over the place these days, even if you're not looking for her. There's the Eras Tour movie, which is like the highest grossing concert film of all time. She just released her re-recording of her hit album, 1989. She put an NFL superstar on the map. There is even an academic conference about her happening at Indiana University this weekend. I just think this is so fascinating. I mean, she definitely has reached the the level of success where like she, I mean, she's literally impacting the GDP of our country. Um, Lauren, are you a Swifty? Girl, no, I am not. But you know, I, I, I will say, I am happy she exists. I am happy that people feel seen by her. Yeah. But I'm kind of perplexed by it, and and I'm not trying to be like um, rebellious in that feeling. I, I genuinely am just perplexed by the fact that it's now a beat that there's a conference. It's that wild. I, I, yeah. I'm really blown away by it. I, but I do, like I said, I, 
I am so appreciative of, of people who just go so hard for something. Yeah. And I also love friendship bracelets. So so in that way, I, I do kind of get it, I guess. But I, I, I am just like continuously amazed by the attention placed on one individual. We could call you Swifty adjacent, maybe. Uh, well, I guess. I mean, I'm happy for them. It's just, you know... But when I, I, but then I guess I, if I just put myself in my Beyonce shoes when I went to the Renaissance show, mm. I was just transported by that, and so I assume yeah. it's a similar thing. So Anissa, you saw Killers of the Flower Moon last night. Did you also see the Eras tour movie in preparation <laughs> for this conversation? I did not see it in preparation for this conversation, <laughs> but um, I am actually Swifty adjacent. Oh, nice. I have a She's loved a one who is a Swifty. <laughs> um, so my sister is is really into Taylor Swift. Um, so we went together, took our mom, Aww. we made, I made some friendship bracelets with her, which was a nice little like sisters bonding activity. I think like I have kind of grown up with her. Mm. I have never really been like a fan, um, but I can definitely appreciate like her talent. And also I just find her a fascinating cultural figure, like the way that she has evolved over the years, um, almost entirely in public, the way she kind of like keeps reinventing herself, the way she self-references. I've heard her like spoken about as a self-portrait artist, which is, I think, a really interesting way hmm. to describe her because I think that's like the element where she thrives, right? Is like doing that self-portraiture, but in music. Um, So I can respect her brilliance and also like as a businesswoman. She's working her ass off. Listen, listen, listen. I do want to say that I was reading about her like increasing net worth and that most of her money comes from her actual music and actual touring. And I respect that. I mean, that's pretty great. For sure. Yeah. I, I am quite entertained by like when she wears an item that is like relatively affordable and mm-hmm. how it just like blows the internet up. Like she she was photographed wearing like a blazer from Madewell. And I was like, good for Madewell. They're about right. to lift off. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I do think that those things are fascinating is like because she has such a deep following when she chooses things that are not like, you know high fashion items they can just like explode the internet which that's a quite a powerful thing i mean it's so powerful it's interesting that like i do not envy that level of scrutiny at all though like can you oh, imagine zero. being mm. that intensely in the public i mean yes she's in an incredible position of power but it's also like at what cost you know yeah the cost of never being able to go out to dinner alone ever yes. again and yes. i don't want that in my life Mm-mm. no and and it's also like she's put so much of her inner self out there for yes. other people to you know, consume. And you yes. can kind of hear in some of her more recent music how she's like grappling with that because Ugh. she's been doing it since she was 15. Yeah. Um, and we don't really necessarily know how we're going to want our life to be when we're 30 at the age no. of 15. <laughs> um, and so she's been on this. So it's just fascinating. Like she doesn't have an adulthood that's free of this massive amount of fame. Mm-hmm. Oh. She doesn't, she can't imagine being a person that isn't that famous because she's never experienced it. That's super wild. It is wild. Okay, so I want to talk about another story that caught our attention recently. This was an essay for the New York Times about, he used the phrase oddball rituals, which obviously appealed to me very much. Um, (laughs) An example of the story is uh, this couple who had been making welcome home enchiladas forever and they can't remember like why but it has to be chicken and green chili and they look forward to them every time they go away I just think this is very charming they also talk about the idea that like if it feels right it's for you this can be literally anything at all lighting a candle before dinner like I don't know I think 
This is something that actually my therapist talks about a lot. The idea of incorporating ritual into our lives, even if it's not religious. And I just think it's gorgeous. And I would love to hear like, if that spoke to you at all. Also, Anissa, do you feel like you have like weird rituals going? I don't know that if I have weird rituals, my, the one that I've been doing recently is like extremely boring, but I will tell you that I've started, (laughs) um, I've started instead of making percolator coffee in in the morning, Mm. I've started doing like a pour over and it's like not, it's only like two cups. It's a smaller and it takes forever. And sometimes I don't really have time um, before I need to start my work day, but because I usually start my work day at home. Uh Um, It's very like relaxing and calming and it kind of gets me into that headspace of, okay, now I'm going to work for eight hours. I think that's perfect. What's weird about that or boring or what? I love that for you. I feel like it's basic, but I'm enjoying it. No, but you're like having a (laughs) moment of self-reflection every day, I feel like, and you're doing something for yourself to start the whole day off. I I think that's cool for you. Yeah. Thank you. I think like having a silly, like elaborate morning tradition is just really nice too. I don't drink coffee, but I will make chai tea like on the stovetop and it takes way longer than it would to Mm. just like brew a normal cup of tea, but it's just so lovely that, yeah, Yeah. I feel the same way. I make matcha every day. That wasn't even the ritual I was going to share, but I was thinking about that when you guys were talking about your beverages and it does take a long time, but I like it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that's worth it. What's the ritual you were going to share, Lauren? Well, um, I have two that came to mind. The first is um, my husband and I, anytime we've traveled since we started dating, we would go out to dinner like the night we come back home and call it a vacation dinner. (laughs) And so it's kind of like you keep the vacation going and you don't have any guilt for the fact that, yeah, maybe you've eaten all your meals out of the house (laughs) for the last three days, but we're just going to do it one more time. And you can kind of, it's just kind of like an ease into real life kind of thing. So we love vacation dinner. I love Um, that. Highly recommend. And then you can, yeah, you can like talk about your trip or you can be like, I'm afraid to go to work tomorrow. But Uh either way, you're still kind of on vacation. I really like it. Um, (laughs) The other one is, is a new one that is, is been a short, it's going to be a short turnaround ritual, but on the way to dropping my daughter off at daycare, uh, the playground that they usually go to was recently taken down and they're building a new one. Mm. And so every day we look at the playground to check the status of how it's going. And it's just a nice way to engage with her about like the passage of time, which she's two years old. She doesn't really understand. But it is really a fun thing that she is starting to notice that like the structure is changed or mm. like the ground underneath it has changed. And then recently, you guys, when my husband drove her by it, she looked out the window and it's like pretty well put together at this point. And she said, we did it. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh that it's been a nice ritual of like an exciting thing is coming and like look at the process that it has to go through before mm. you get to play on it. So those I love are my that. rituals. I love that too. Also because I feel like it points out something that is true with all the things we've talked about, which is just the idea of attention. And I think that's what's so exciting about all of it is just like, you know, the idea that we're not just like staring at our phones for those extra, even three minutes or whatever, and like actively participating in something that makes us feel good or paying attention to something different is like very exciting to me, you know? I will say that as someone who also like you, cause you're talking about whether a ritual is religious or mm, not, I will mm-hmm. say like as someone who prays five times a day, yeah. um, I'm a Muslim and I, you know, I wake up early, you know, kind of according to the sun is how our prayer times are. So in the winter I can just wake up, pray, start my day in the summer. I will, you know, wake up it sometimes gets as early as like five o'clock, five 30. Mm. 
and then pray and go back to sleep. And like the way that that kind of breaks your day into pieces and allows you to, as you were saying, Greta, just like take a few minutes and just disengage from like everything that is stressing you out and and making you feel tired and, you know, all the things that you have on your mind. And it mm-hmm. just kind of like gives you like five minutes to recenter and like ground yourself. And I think that, you know, meditation can also do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Waiting for your coffee to go down can also, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, of, of course, there's that spiritual um, aspect. But I think also just like, as you said, taking a break from our screens which are always like giving us this like constant overload of stimulation mm-hmm. is is probably really healthy. I love that. Yeah, that's gorgeous. It's interesting. Like I wonder like what I do five times a day and it's nothing that lovely, I don't think. No, certainly not. I check Instagram <laughs> right. five plus. Way more times. than five times a day. <laughs> well, Lauren, Anissa, thank you both so much for coming on. This was really lovely. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Okay, right after the break, we are going to hear from the amazing Sola L. Whaley. But first, quick shout out. I would love to know what some of your favorite oddball rituals are. You can record yourself on your phone and then email that audio file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. And maybe you'll end up in an upcoming episode. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Our next guest is chef and former Bon Appetit cooking star Sola L. Whaley. We fell in love with her when she was on Test Kitchen, and we've been following her journey since then on Instagram. And now she has published her first ever cookbook. It's called Start Here, Instructions for Becoming a Better Cook. And it's all about the core techniques and food science that help you actually understand and feel confident about what you're doing in the kitchen. That's why I love cooking so much, because I've been doing it forever and I still learn something new every day. And let me tell you, she put a lot into it. This is a huge ass book. I'm very disappointed because I'm 10 pages away from it being 666 pages. Yeah, it just happened. It wasn't the original plan. It just kept going. It's half savory, half sweet, because for Sola, a good cook shouldn't be afraid to try anything. I couldn't not do it because I feel like it's so important to know both. And I think a lot of the skills translate to each other. So if you just are focusing on one, you're really limiting yourself. I love that because I feel like there is sort of this myth around like the either cooking or baking binary that I've never really bought into myself. I hate it. And it and it really runs deep in like old school French kitchens. Mm. Um, pastry was always like separate in their own little lonely corner. Got no respect. I, I worked savory and pastry and on the pastry side, people were always stealing your mise en place, unplugging your freezer. That's uh, so rude. It's very rude. There was no respect. And 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 I don't know why, because I don't think that any like good meal is complete without a d- dessert. Yeah, 
I agree. So speaking of a dessert, I made the lemon bars in the book last night. Oh, I love those. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, for one, I mean, I think like brown butter has had its time in the sun, but I also feel like you can't say enough good things about brown butter. (laughs) No, you can't. And I, and I, I think it like really helps balance the, the, tangy, creamy lemon thing happening. Yes, it really does. Yeah. They're not too sweet at all. They're lovely. I love the texture, the flavor. I think especially this time of year, they might seem kind of counterintuitive, but there's something really nice about just something really like bright and sunny, you know? I'm glad you made that one. That's one of my favorites. And while I was pregnant, it's one of my biggest like cravings. I made that one a lot. Oh my gosh. So um, what are some of your other favorite recipes from the book? Well, there's also, speaking of lemon, Mm. (laughs) I guess I love lemon. There's a (laughs) lemony potatoes that I really love. Uh, It's super easy and you bake it all together in a skillet, but really the complexity comes into the seasoning. Getting like the right balance of fat and acid and salt really makes these really simple ingredients uh, elevated and something really special. And we're also playing with a lot of different flavors because you get like the acid, but then you also char them at the end. So that bitterness kind of balances out all the starchiness in a really cool way. So I love that one. And you've probably got the ingredients to make it. So you should make that one tonight. Oh my God. I do have potatoes and another lemon. So we're good to go. Yeah. So you use the word balance a couple times. What are you looking for when it comes to building a recipe? I'm always thinking about what the home cook needs because I don't cook like your average home cook just because uh, since I'm a professional, my kitchen is ridiculous. (laughs) So I have to like really put myself in someone else's shoes. Mm. Like, Like the average person is not okay with washing a bunch of pans. I am. It's my life. It's my job. So... (laughs) (laughs) So I guess try to keep it simple. I try to focus on budget um, mm. and accessibility because especially living in Manhattan, like maybe I can get Bonita Flakes at my bodega, but mm. if you're living in the middle of the country, you can't. So uh, I, I work with a really limited pantry in the book and I was also just thinking about keeping it affordable. I love that. Because there's a lot of cool things you can do with a bag of carrots. <laughs> <laughs> I love carrots. Like a roasted carrot is like kind of a perfect thing. It is an amazing thing. There's a recipe in the book for like a blackened carrot. And it's like when you like really char the hell out of it, it gets jammy and so sweet and like fudge. Oh my God. It's just so good. That sounds great. So another thing you talk about in the book, which I think cannot be overemphasized also is like how lovely it can be to make your own mayonnaise. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's like a whole mayonnaise section. I don't know. I just, I just went loose on mayonnaise. Well, I mean, uh, every, every recipe is meant to teach. And I think making a mayonnaise is pretty easy. It is an emulsion, but it's a simple one, but the key to a mayonnaise is seasoning it. So I think it's like the best way to learn how to season, um, mm. because tasting through all that fat is really difficult. And it was actually one of the first ways I really learned how to season one of my first jobs was at a cafe where I made a bunch of dressings and mayonnaise. And it's pretty miserable spending all day just tasting dressing and mayonnaise. <laughs> oh my God, that does sound really intense. It was like I was on the keto diet by accident. Um, <laughs> but uh, you learn a lot because you, you really learn about the power of salt. So that was the main reason I put that recipe in there because I want you to make mayonnaise and I want you to taste it and I want you to see how it transforms with like every pinch of salt and mm. every drop of lemon. And I think it's just like a really good exercise if you want to really like like tune into your palate. Mm. 
That's really cool. So you also have these really cool sections throughout the book called what the hell happened, which I think is really cool. And like, obviously definitely fits with the whole approach of the book. I really thoroughly tested the recipes in this book. So the what the hell happened section is based off of real life. What the hell happens <laughs> to us and like the culinary team as we were working on it. Um, Cause I think a lot of times when you mess up a recipe, you either think, one of two things, I suck and I can't cook mm. or this recipe sucks and you give up on it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want you to give up on yourself or the recipe. I want you to like evaluate what happened, think about it and try again, because that's really how you become a much better cook. Mm. You also encourage readers to embrace MSG, which I think is delightful. What are anti-MSG people missing out on, do you think? Well, MSG, it, it's just like savory. The, it's naturally occurring in a lot of stuff. So when you have a tomato, when you have Parmesan cheese, when you eat a mushroom, that mm -hmm. like savoriness, that's MSG. Mm -hmm. And the MSG you get in powdered form is just a refined version of that. Uh, it's nothing to be scared of. There's a lot of like hate and it's all based off of one, one article. And all the studies have shown that, that unless you have a lot of it, like a cup of MSG on an empty stomach, you, most people will not have an adverse reaction. So you're just like missing out on a way to level up savoriness because salt makes things salty. It enhances a lot of flavors. But when mm. you use salt with MSG, it's like you're, you're seasoning in stereo. Ooh, that's such a beautiful phrasing. I love that. It's from the book. I thought of it <laughs> earlier. It's not a spontaneous <laughs> thing. <laughs> no, it's still great. It still counts. So you call this like culinary school in a book minus the debt. And I'd love to talk a little bit about your origin story around the kitchen. Well, I started out at, in my mom's kitchen. Um, mm -hmm. My mom is an amazing cook, and we that's kind of where we spent our time together, just cooking. She would make roti and throw me a lump of dough mm -hmm. at a very young age. Um, and then I really got into it because I realized that it's like a great way to get along with anyone. Mm -hmm. I was not like the best at making friends, and I didn't have the best relationship with my family at home. But no matter what was happening, when you sit down at a table with people, you just become friends. So mm. that was like the main thing that drew me into the kitchen. And then I stayed uh, because in a restaurant, you have like a built-in family. It's like amazing. If I had nowhere to go on a Saturday night, I could just go to work. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved that. Um, so for me, it was really about community first. And then I just got really into the craft the more I did it. Mm, that's really sweet. So were there books that helped you kind of shape your own approach to cooking too? Or is this kind of like one of those books that you wish you had had when you were coming up? Well, there's a lot of books that had amazing recipes. Um, growing up, I only had a couple of cookbooks because they are kind of a luxury mm -hmm. um, and we just couldn't afford it. And the cookbooks I had, I cooked out of a ton. Uh, one of my favorites was at Home with the French Classics by Richard Grossman. I cooked out of that book over and over again because I didn't have any other recipes and I learned so much from it. Hmm. And then the other one that I loved a lot was On Food and Cooking. Hmm. You guys are going to love it because this is nerdette. <laughs> it's all about the science of cooking. And I loved it because I wanted to go and deep dive. I wanted to know why when you overcook an egg, it turns green. You know, like I mm -hmm. wanted to know why when you add acid to cabbage, it turns blue. I love learning all those things because it helped me understand more when I made mistakes and it made it easier for me to figure it out. So I basically took 
all that food science and, and tried to put it into like a cookbook with recipes. That, that was really my goal. That's really cool. Well, and I think, you know, the fact that the foreword was written by Samin Nosrat, I think also really speaks to that, given that salt, fat, acid, heat is so much of kind of like a toolkit. Um, and yeah, you know, it's like that idea that there are recipes, but that it's also just so much more about like embracing curiosity and and confidence enough to be able to try out a variety of skills that you can also like go off script with them, you know? Totally. And that was such a get. I was so scared to ask her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I also, I feel very attached to Samin Nosra, not just because her book is amazing, but because my first name, my my real first name is actually Nusrath. Oh, really? I changed it because no one could ever say it growing up. Mm. And, it, and it really, um, it made me really frustrated. So I decided to go up by my middle name. And I remember I went to the... I was working at Serious Eats and I went to the IACP Awards where Samin Nosrat basically won everything. <laughs> and I kept hearing her name being pronounced correctly over and over again. And it felt so amazing that oh she'd made God. something that made people learn this name. <sighs> so I, to have her name on my book feels very, I feel like a lot of pride and privilege to have that. Yeah. Oh, that's gorgeous. I feel like it also kind of goes hand in hand with the idea of like embracing home chefs as opposed to actually having to go to like a fancy school and learn French or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, going to a school, most professional chefs don't even get anything useful out of that. I mean, French food isn't the only food out there anymore. No, of course not. I mean, it seems to me that the conversation around food and cooking and expertise really has changed over the last, I don't know, like five or 10 years. Do you, would you agree with that? Like, do you find it heartening? Yeah. I mean, it's great. I, I was just talking to my husband about how Korean food is having like a renaissance in New York City mm. right now. It's some of the coolest restaurants are by Korean chefs. Um, I recently had some kimchi by uh, Esther Choi, who has milk bar. Mm. And uh, we were like blown away. We we're like, this tastes like you know, someone's mom's kimchi and you can buy it in a jar. Uh, <laughs> and then Lee Say is a Korean chef. And, it, and it's just really cool that there's so many chefs from so many different backgrounds getting recognition for making amazing food. Yeah, I love that. Speaking of your husband, you dedicated the book to him. I thought that was really sweet. Well, I mean, it's been really cool because we got married really young. and I And I think that was like, the best thing we ever did because we got to go through our careers together. Hmm. So when we met, we were just starting out and we were terrible and it's been fun to like grow together and learn together. And we both are very interested in different aspects of food. So like Ham will go off and research something he's really into and I'll research something I'm into. And then our, our pillow talk is basically telling each other what we learned. <laughs> I love that so much. Well, also, I mean, what you say to him is, I'm so lucky I get to spend my life messing up in the kitchen with you, which is just such a gorgeous, I don't know, I think like that embracing the the messing up of it all, I just think is really lovely. It's the best part. That's when you learn. Yeah. So what do you do with the recipe when you're like, well, this is pretty fucked. Like, do you try to make the best of it? Or are, some, are there some days where you're just like, it's time for takeout? Um, we, we'll, we always analyze it together. We always learn something from it. And then a lot of times you can turn it into something. Like I worked on a pumpkin cheesecake recipe and mm. then 
the, the first batch, I put way too much pumpkin and cream, so it never set. Mm. And then we just turned it into a semi-fredo. There you go. I do feel like that's one where it's like, if you have enough of a skill set, you can't just be like, ah, we'll just fudge it. But uh, look, if I'm being honest, there are times where it is just time to order some takeout. <laughs> you know, it happens to everyone. And that's like a beautiful part of the process as well. Definitely. <laughs> well, Sola, thank you so much for sharing this cookbook with us. It's gorgeous. I can't wait for our readers to check it out too. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting. This was a lot of fun. And for cooking out of the book. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, that's it for this week. Thank you ever so much for listening along. I can't believe it, but it is the month of November. That means we have a spoiler-free book club author interview coming up this Tuesday with C. Pam Zhang. We are discussing her amazing novel, Land of Milk and Honey. I can't wait to hear what you think of this one. Of course, it is never too early to send us a voicemail for those. You just record yourself on your smartphone and then email the file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. Also, I had the great pleasure of being on another WBEZ podcast this week. I want to tell you about it. It's called The Rundown. It's hosted by Erin Allen. She does great interviews with all sorts of awesome people, and we got to rave about audiobooks. It's a really fun episode. Check that out wherever you get your podcasts. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman at WBEZ in Chicago and is part of the NPR Network. And our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.